Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we're here to talk openly and honestly about miscarriage, stillbirth, and all pregnancy loss. We aim to smash the taboo surrounding these subjects and rebuild the topic in a way to support and educate women rather than isolate and shame them. Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. This episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever is being brought to you in association with Wednesday's Domain, a brilliant new alcohol-free wine brand. Fed up of not being able to find a decent alcohol-free wine, the founder, Luke, set about creating Wednesday's Domain, a great-tasting, beautifully branded, alcohol-free alternative. When you remove the alcohol from a wine, you impact its taste, texture and aromas. Rather than simply bottle what's left, you've got to take a different approach. It's for that reason that they blend their wines with an array of natural flavours and ingredients to create something that pairs as well with a packet of crisps on the sofa as it does with a beautifully cooked meal shared with friends. Bex, you've tried the wines, haven't you? I have. I tried them at the back end of last year and I was completely blown away by the taste. As loads of you know, I gave up drinking last year and the red wine is, oh, I just craved it. The red <laughs> wine is what really, oh, red wine is what really got me and I've tried all of them. And and then when I when I discovered Luke and Wednesday's domain, I was like, right, this is it. It's it's, it's do or die. And ordered a bottle, and it was it's it's so good. It's so it's just like red wine. And also, it's not just that about when you when you're not drinking and you're sat at a table full of adults. You know what is the alternative? So many people don't even have it's it's like wine or water. Mm. And having that wine that you can take to a party with a beautiful label and a beautiful bottle, it just made me feel like a grown up. Feeling part of the moment and part of the conversation are central to Wednesday's Domain's ethos, and we couldn't agree more. And finally, you might be thinking, why on earth are they called Wednesday's Domain? Well, we asked the same question and loved the answer. They want to become your midweek wine alternative, providing you with all the joy that comes with opening a bottle and pouring a glass, yet none of the after effects you'd find in a regular bottle of wine. If that's tickled your pickle, find out more at wednesdaysdomain.com and please take advantage of their 15% discount code GIRLGANG15, available until 31st of March 2023. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. Today we are joined from Chris Fraser across the pond. Welcome. It's not across Hi. the pond though, is it? Yeah. Wait, I thought you were in Australia. Oh, Washington, oh. USA. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> God, I really have not brought my A game today. I'm not editing that bit out either. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, God, Australia. Do we call Australia is across the pond as well? I don't know why I thought you were from Australia. Well, thank you so much for joining us at some really horrible hour for you as well, Chris. Tell us what time it is. It's 5 a.m. It could be worse. I was going to do, what was it, like uh, 2 a.m., I think, the first time that we were scheduled to talk to you guys. So, I mean, and, and you say that the I first time. I'm sure we have scheduled a few times, haven't we? And um, I can only apologise. But yeah. I, I was just saying earlier, I would say we're not normally like this, but I'm afraid we are. We are, yeah, but we are and we aren't because you're definitely the most rescheduled having you every time yeah. we speak about you we're like oh my god I can't believe we haven't done that it's um yeah I'm so sorry it's been a series of unfortunate events but let's here. let's focus on the here and now thank you so much for joining us Chris and um if you could just share a little bit of your story and why you're here that would be amazing sure so um in 2018 we found out we were expecting our second child and uh, we'd been trying for a while, so we were super excited, right? Um, but it was kind of unexpected because uh, we had sort of given up. We never really had like, we never had to do IVF or anything. It just always took a long time to get pregnant. Um, with our first, it took like five years. So um, we decided we were going to try again for the second. And uh, it took like a year. And finally, I was like, whatever, I'm just going to forget about it. And whatever happens, happens, you know, and then of course... How it always does, right? Well, not always, but um, so anyway, found out that we were expecting the second and um, we're super stoked. I wasn't going to tell anybody um, yet. Like I had literally just taken the test and our daughter, who was, I think, four at the time, um, comes in and catches me in the bathroom. She's like, mommy, what are you doing? And I couldn't like I didn't have long enough to think of mm-hmm. like something else to tell her besides the truth, you know? Yeah. She caught you off guard. Yeah. So I told her and then she ran upstairs and told her dad. And then he came running down and was like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) So the three of us had this cute little moment in the bathroom of, we're having another baby, you know? Um, so fast forward, um, to the, um, 13 week, ultrasound for, um, like the genetic screening that they do. Um, mm. it was, it's called the nuchal translucency test where they can look at the, um, the fold in the back of the neck. And that's like the early warning sign that something is wrong. Right. And can I just ask first- you a question, Chris, because yeah, yeah. here in the UK, you can, um, opt whether to have that test or not. Was that something that was given as an option for you or just it's yeah. done as standard yeah so um with our first start we opted not to do it at all we, okay. we didn't want to stress out about what maybe could be you know and so we just went into the whole thing kind of blissfully ignorant you know yeah. lovely <laughs> um and because it had been four or five years since I had been pregnant before you know uh, my husband and I were like mm, maybe we better do it this time around just you know we just had this feeling maybe we should do this this time Mm. Um, and so that first test, we were about 13 weeks into the pregnancy, um, came back abnormal. And so we were like, okay, now what? (laughs) Um, so they wanted us to do a different test, which is a a maternal blood test that they, um, somehow can extract the baby's DNA from your DNA just by looking at the blood. Crazy. I don't know how they can do this kind of crazy magic science. (laughs) Um, 
anyway, so they, they were able to extract uh, the baby's DNA, found out that we were expecting a girl um, and that she had a high risk of trisomy 18, which is an extra 18th chromosome. So third 18th chromosome. Um, and so naturally you do what you do when you get a diagnosis like that, you Google all the things, right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it was not looking great. And, um, we were like, okay, well, this is just a high probability, right? Like we don't know for sure that this is actually the thing. This is just a maybe, right. Um, and trisomy 18, does that have a name? Uh, it's Edwards syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're, most people are familiar with trisomy 21, which is uh, down syndrome. Um, this one is Edwards syndrome and number 18, not as common, obviously many people haven't even heard of it most of the time because babies don't survive with it. Right. Mm. <laughs> you don't meet an adult out in the world, you know, having a job or something that has this. Um, so they sent us to maternal fetal medicine, um, to do a amniocentesis as like a final for sure, this is like final confirmation of the diagnosis, right? And how, how is that experience of an amniocentesis? Can you talk us through that a little bit? Oh gosh. I, I hope I never, ever, ever have to do that again. Mm. <laughs> um, it wasn't painful. It was just really freaky feeling because I right. could feel a needle as it was going through each layer of fat and tissue. And, you know, they don't, they don't even numb you because the needle is so um, thin that it really just feels kind of like a bee sting. Okay. Um, and so they were like the needle to numb you is bigger than the needle that we're using. So it doesn't like, it's pointless to even use, num you know, numbing because you'll, you're still going to feel it anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was not, not fun. <laughs> Thankfully this is pre COVID. So my husband was able to be there with me and, you know, it was, of all the things he was able to be there through all of it. And I think that was the biggest thing during COVID the whole time I was thinking, Oh my gosh, I am so glad that the, all of this happened before right now. Like I yeah. can't even fathom mm -hmm. what it was like for so many women who didn't have that luxury of having somebody with them during the most horrible moments in their life, you know, and their partners who were stuck in the car park, not being able to, to provide that support as well. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So an amniocentesis, how long does it take to get the results for that? Oh, gosh, I think it was, I want to say maybe a week or so. Okay, and a long week, blood right? Test, the blood test took a couple of weeks. So, I mean, by this point, when we had our final, final diagnosis, we knew for sure what was going on and what um, and how bad it was. Um, I think we were about 18 weeks wow. by that point. Um, and at that point, did they, did they, <clears throat> did you, they would get, when they gave you the diagnosis was what happened in your, how, well, first of all, how did you survive that week of kind of waiting for the results and that sort of thing? What did you do? Uh, <laughs> a whole lot of crying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was, it was rough. Like just all that waiting. It was so hard to know, you know, like the, what if because you're in this place where you have this diagnosis, but it's not for sure yet, you know? So like all the way up until the amnio, there was always this little shred of hope that maybe it was wrong. Maybe it's, you know, maybe we're in that other category. This isn't yeah. happening to us, you know? 
people, these are wrong all the time. You hear about stories of people who, um, you know, that it was wrong all the way up until the baby was born. And then they're like, see, nothing was actually wrong. Your test was wrong, blah, blah, blah. You know, like just all of that, the things that your mind takes you through when you're trying to hope that this terrible thing isn't actually happening to you, you know? Yeah. Um, but we, uh, we have a really close, um, close family friends. Um, they actually just live in our neighborhood, but they're also friends, um, from church and they, uh, they had a, they had twins at 23 weeks. And one of them is now, I think she's 10. I think she just turned 10 this year. Wow. Um, Yeah. And, um, their little boy, he passed away after a day. Um, and all of this happened before we moved here to the neighborhood. Um, and so they were just a huge, huge support for mm-hmm. us because they had been through loss before, you know, and prior, prior to knowing them, um, loss had always happened to somebody else. You know, yeah. my cousin, um, had a stillbirth when I was, gosh, I think it was probably newly married or maybe I wasn't even married yet. Um, and so I didn't have a clue how to support her or anything, you know, I mean, I, I hadn't even been pregnant yet, let alone experience loss, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I didn't have much, um, experience with loss until, until I met this friend, um, that we lived up here. And, and so they just were sort of our flashlight in the dark, you know, <laughs> like, what do we do with all of this? Yeah. You know? Um, and since that time, actually, um, she and I have um, become birth and bereavement doulas through stillbirthday.com. Um, we took an eight-week course um, and have become birth and bereavement doulas, which will allow us to walk away families through all of this garbage. <laughs> oh, amazing. Because how much easier would it it been for you to have someone like you helping you through it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she basically was that for us. We just didn't know that's what it was called yet, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, after, after our experience and then she, you know, looking back on hers and was realizing how much her experience was able to help us through ours, you know, we were like, okay, we got to do something with this. We can't just sit by and let, let nothing happen while, Mm -hmm. you know, families are out there struggling and we have this experience to share. So let's, let's help you know, that is amazing. We haven't, we haven't been able to really serve many families yet because, um, we're trying to get nonprofit status and the red tape here to do so is just oh, yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> so, um, but I was actually just at my doctor the other day and he, um, I asked him about it and he was like, yeah, please send us your, your information. You know, if you have a flyer or something, I would love to be able to have someone, to give my patients to after I've just dropped this terrible news on their lap, you know, yeah. now what do I do? Well, now you can send them to us. So, yeah. Well, what did you the- do after you got the news? So you got, you got the results. Tell us about that day when you received the results of all of the tests that you'd had. Um, I think for us, because we had gone, um, so my husband and I, we, um, we had gone to the temple which is a place of um, peace and comfort for us, Mm. um, for our church. And so um, we had gone to just kind of get some clarity and, um, you know, 
leading up to, you know, you asked earlier, what did we do in that time when we were waiting for results? That was one of the things was just pray a whole lot, you know? Um, and for us, it was less about praying for a miracle and more about just praying to understand and accept whatever was going to happen, hmm. you know, call it God's will or whatever. I think, I think for us, um, we really had to rely a lot on our faith. Um, I was going to say, did it, did it shake your faith? Did you have that? Like, why us? Why, why is this happening to us? There was some of that. Um, but I think we were able to, um, work through it, um, in a way that made sense for us. Mm. Um, I think I, I actually, I always said this, um, I was just telling somebody this the other day. Um, I feel like, you have to have a life scripture, right? Like the one thing that always grounds you, you know, for some, it might not be a scripture. Maybe it's a mantra or a quote or whatever. But um, for me, there's a a verse in the book of Mormon that says, um, I do not know the meaning of all things. Um, Nevertheless, I know that God loves his children. Um, And so that was really grounding for me. And I was like, okay, the why me doesn't matter because I know he loves me and he's going to get me through this. And, um, I think if anything, it changed my perspective on, on trials, you Mm -hmm. know, because I think a lot of times people say, oh, well, God won't give you anything you can't handle, or God's just testing you or all of that stuff. And for me, it was less about that and more about Um, you know, we live in a fallen world, like nothing is, is protected here from trials of life, you know, like Mm -hmm. bodies don't work the way that they're supposed to and accidents happen. And, you know, like, that's just part of living in the world that we live in, you know? Um, And so for me, it really helped me understand the way that trials work because, um, I think, you know, growing up, just hearing different people say things and stuff, um, there was always this notion that God gives you trials, right? That he's asked you to go through this thing or whatever. Um, And that kind of gives you the image of like, God is just this person moving pieces on a chessboard, you know, and you're just down here kind of as a pawn doing whatever he's assigned for you, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And this notion that, you know, he's up there kind of passing out diagnosis you're going to get cancer and you're going to lose a baby and you're going to get in a car accident. And, you know, um, and that never really sat well with me. And then we went through this horrible thing and I was like, yeah, that's not how this is working for me. (laughs) You know, yeah, I refuse to accept that he's just up there saying, okay, here you go, go through this sucky, terrible thing. No, I don't think that's how it works. I think, You know, we, like I said, we live in a world where babies aren't born with all the things that they need to survive, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I don't understand all the reasons why, but I don't need to know that. Like that's, that's not what solves my, my pain and my grief. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Why doesn't really help me. No. Yeah. And we never really know why anyway, do we? Yeah, exactly. So I can either waste my time asking why, or I can be like, okay, here, here's what's happening now. And what are we going to do to get through it? And that was kind of yeah. our approach, you know? Oh, how did you get through it? So, um, 
like I said, that family was super, super supportive of us. Um, we, so once we had the final diagnosis, we were 18 weeks in and we didn't know how long we were going to have, you know, I mean, every day still pregnant was a big deal. You know, Mm -hmm. I can remember waking up every morning and thinking God that I was still pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, and then once she started to move, that was even better because then I could rely on that as a, you know, okay, she's still in there. We're okay. You know, Mm -hmm. um, because the, the prognosis was not, not great. They, um, most babies with this condition, um, 80% of them die before they get to 40 weeks. Um, and then of those that are born, only half of them are born alive. And then of those only 10% make, or no, 1% make it to their first birthday. Oh, wow. So, I mean, for us, as soon as the diagnosis was confirmed with the amnia, we were like, okay, now what? We have no idea what yeah. is going to happen. Is she going to be born dead tomorrow? Is she going to be born alive prematurely? Um, you know, and then of course, what actually happened, which we never in a million years thought was going to happen, which was um, fast forward to 41 weeks. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I actually, so let me back up. We were, we were, as we got closer and closer to um, my due date, um, and then past my due date, the doctor was like, okay, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, you're asking me, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, but the options were, you know, keep being pregnant as long as my body would allow and let her keep cooking, you know, um, or induce labor and get her out of there before my placenta fails. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and I really felt like I was kind of darn if I do, darn if I don't, you know, because on the one hand, if I, if we induced and kicked her out early and she passed away, then I would feel like I should have left her in, you know? And if we let her keep going as long as she could, and then she passed away, I would have said, well, I should have taken her out sooner, you know? Yeah. Like it was, there was no good answer. Mm -hmm. Um, and so again, we went to the temple and and prayed about it. And I just kept getting this impression of, um, her days are known and shall not be numbered less. And to me, that was God's way of saying, it's okay. I got this. You make whatever decision you need to make to make you and your family feel, feel good about this. And I'll do the rest. I already know when she's going to go and you just do what you need to do. Mm. Um, and so that gave us the peace to just, okay, whatever decision we make, it's going to be fine. It's not on us. It's on him and he's got it and it's okay. Um, and so we opted to induce because that I felt like that gave us the most control in an otherwise uncontrollable situation. Right. Yeah. Um, also our first daughter was born induction um, because my husband was living here in Washington actually. And I was still back home in, in Oregon. And so um, in order for him to not miss her birth, we opted to induce. And so that's what I was familiar with, right? This yeah. is my second child. I'm terrified all the things, you know? And so we're like, okay, if we go with induction, it's less stress for me because that's what I'm used to. I know how that birth process works. Mm-hmm. Um, the thought of going into labor spontaneously was terrifying to me because I had never been through it before on top of this very special case, you know? Um, Chris, had they spoken to you about what to expect when she was born like were you still feeling lots of movements leading up to the induction 
And presumably um, you had regular scans and monitoring. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, w- I was seeing the doctor, um, I think towards the end, it was about once a week. Um, okay. In the beginning, after they had switched me over to the maternal fetal medicine doc, it was only once a month. And that was really rough. Yeah, I bet. Like, you know, um, just between scans, wondering like, how's she doing in there? You know, and those were level two scans where they would look really specifically at certain parts of her body. Um, so like they would focus on her brain and her heart, um, you know, just her, her major organs to make sure that everything was still sustaining life. I mean, it, you know, limping along as it were, yeah. <laughs> um, she had some holes in her brain, uh, holes in her heart and some cysts in her brain. Um, she had a club foot, um, which obviously doesn't really matter for living, you know, people can live with that condition, but mm-hmm. just one of the many things that they were looking at to, um, to tell them that she did in fact, for sure have this, because that was the other thing, you know, like there is a teeny, teeny, teeny margin of error for, um, an amnio, but they have been wrong before, you know? And so, um, what also confirmed it was, um, the, ultrasound that they did before they did the MBO that was really, really in depth, um, that showed that she had all of the physical traits as well that they okay. would have expected. So, <clears throat> excuse me, what do the physical traits of Edward syndrome include? You mentioned holes in the heart and cysts on the brain. Are they, is that a common thing to have? Yeah, those are the really big ones. Um, some of the other ones that they can have is, um, the organs being on the outside of the body. Um, so like the, the, um, abdominal cavity just doesn't close. And so there's, um, the internal organs are on the outside. Um, one of the main things, um, that they all, almost every single one of them has is, um, they call it trisomy fist, which is where, um, I'll show you guys, but it's not gonna matter for the podcast because you can't (laughs) see it, but, um, they make a fist like this and the thumb and the pinky are like overlapped. Okay. The the other fingers. Um, she did have that, but there were a few scans that we got where her hands were completely open, which was really cool. Just a little shred of hope, you know, she's, she's sort of okay. You know, um, cause that's the thing about, um, trisomy, trisomy 18 is, um, it's sort of a spectrum, right? Like Mm -hmm. some babies don't have, don't have it that bad. And other babies have it super duper bad. Um, and it just depends on how the chromosomes fall and which cells are affected um, because there's, there's different kinds of, even within Edwards syndrome, there's different kinds. There's mosaic or full and mosaic is where only certain cells in the body are affected by that um, mutation. And then mosaic is where mosaic is where certain ones are full is every single cell in the whole entire body is affected. Um, and so our Emily had full um, which again was, okay, the prognosis does not look good, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Um, but as they were doing these scans going through, you know, um, her, she was still growing. She made her own growth chart, of course, but she was still growing. Um, you know, everything was kind of just keeping steady the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, which was really interesting to watch because we were just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop at some point, you know, like one of these scans, we're going to go in and she's not going to be growing or, um, you know, the hole in her brain is or in her heart is going to be bigger or the brain cysts are bigger, or, you know, they're going to find some new thing that, um, that is going to show that she's not going to, not going to make it, you know? Mm. 
and really going into after eventually our, our hope was just, okay, let's just meet her alive. Even if it's only for a few minutes, please just let's meet her alive. Um, and even like going, um, for the induction date, you know, I was like, I don't know what to expect. We yeah. took her urn with us to the hospital because, you know, like we didn't know if we were going to be coming home with her or not, you know? Yeah. Um, and again, you know, I had, I had to rely on my faith. I said, okay, God, listen, <laughs> if she's not born alive, I'm going to trust that it's because you knew I wouldn't be able to handle it. And it would be just too hard for me to have to say goodbye to her. Um, but if she is born alive, then I'll know that it's going to be okay. And I'll have some time with her. And you knew that I could handle it, you know? Um, and so we, uh, we went for delivery. Like I said, we took our urn with us. We had no idea what to expect. Um, and, uh, this is at 41 weeks now. So we've gone over her due date, um, over what most babies in this condition ever make it to. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and labor was long, <laughs> but she did not want to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, she, <laughs> we almost missed it. They, um, it was taking a long time and I was getting really, really stressed out. And we had had, um, now I lay me down to sleep, which is a volunteer photographer that comes and take, takes pictures in cases where you don't know what's going to happen. Or, you know, let's say, you know, going into it, that your baby has already passed. Um, these photographers are specially trained to come and take pictures, um, of, of babies in various states of of birth. Um, and they, um, they're trained on, you know, how to pose them and how to, um, help them not look worse than they are, you know, um, try to just capture the moment in, in a, in a good way yeah. that it can um, not be traumatizing later down, I guess, <laughs> what I'm trying to say. But so we had our, now I lay me down to sleep photographer um, and our doctor had been there all day. We had a um, specific nurse that we had gone um, and we went before, um, after the diagnosis and before birth, we went on tour of the hospital because I hadn't delivered at this particular hospital yet. Um, and I didn't want to go with one of the regular, um, groups, you know, they do group tours every so often, um, of the maternity center. And I didn't want to go with a regular group because I knew that, you know, I didn't want to hear all these happy moms who had no idea that, you know, um, yeah, I can imagine that would be so difficult. What was what was it like in in general life leading up to that? Because if you've got this big bump, people you bump into people in the street or talk to people in the shops or nursery or school or wherever, and um, they must people strike up conversations with pregnant women all the time. Oh, oh how yeah. long have you got left? Or do you know what you're having? That sort of thing. Were, were they difficult conversations? Um, I think the hardest ones were just the random strangers. Um, we decided just after we got the final diagnosis, um, we decided that we needed to be really open, um, about everything because especially like with our, with our church community, I was like, I cannot fake this every Sunday when people come up to me and ask, you know, how you doing? How you feeling? Blah, blah, blah. The questions that you normally ask a pregnant woman, 
yeah. that are usually okay, but not in this case, you know? <laughs> um, and so I, I told my husband, I said, we, we got to do something. I can't just not tell anybody, you know? Um, and so we wrote a letter and had it sent to our whole congregation by email that just said, hey, everyone, here's what we know. Here's what we need. You know, please don't not talk to us. Even mm-hmm. if you don't know what to say, asking is better than saying nothing, but just be prepared that there might be some tears, you know, yeah. please yeah, be that's okay a great idea. That. Um, and yeah, we just, we just put it out there. Um, and, and I bet you got a lot of love back, did you? Oh, absolutely. We mm-hmm. had a lot of people, a lot of people that I would never have expected came forward and mm-hmm. said, me too, you know, either yeah. they had had um, a baby with trisomy or any type of loss. There was yeah. a couple of people that came forward and said, you know, Hey, I had a miscarriage. I know it's not the same, but I, I get loss. I'm here, you know? Um, so yeah, that was really, really strengthening to see, you know, all of the support that, that people gave us just at church. But then we did the same thing on Facebook too. Um, we actually started a, um, a separate page so that it wasn't just on mine or my husband's personal page and people that were just happening along didn't, overtake our whole life, you know, and see, see everything on our pages is just that we made a separate page so we could kind of compartmentalize a little bit. Um, and so we posted a lot of stuff on there and that was really comforting too. just, you know, seeing people write back and respond and, and support us that way. Um, we actually, I was going to show you guys this shirt. Um, it says Emily, and this is a trisomy ribbon. One side of it says trisomy 18 and the other side says, um, Jerusha. Um, so a friend of mine, I asked her, she works at a t-shirt printing company and I asked her how much it would be just to do, um, you know, like 10 shirts. I was just thinking you know, for our family, you know, for me and my husband and his family and, and my siblings and, you know, just to, so that we could have some tangible way to support, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so I asked this friend about it. She said, well, it's actually better if you order more shirts than less. So how about we make it a fundraiser? And so um, I was like, okay, I hadn't thought about that, but sure. Why not? Um, So she designed this logo and um, her company actually ended up donating like 300 shirts and we sold them far and wide just for donation, you know, give what you can 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever. Um, because at that time we had no idea what, um, the cost was going to look like, you know, like I've never buried a baby. I don't know how much it is, you know, like, um, we just didn't know what to expect. And so, um, people just donated and we ended up with this fund of, of money that we knew, okay, whatever happens with insurance or whatever, you know, if she survives her medical expenses, we're going to, cause she's going to need all kinds of stuff, you know? Um, and so we just had this, this fund of, okay, it's going to be okay. We have a little bit of extra we can rely on if we need, if we need, you know? Yeah. Um, but on the flip side of that, it was also, um, a way that people could show support. And so like on the day that we went to the hospital to deliver her, my phone and our Facebook just exploded with pictures of people wearing their shirts. Oh, uh, our nurse had one, our doctor had one, you know, I mean, everybody had their shirts. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, 
actually at her funeral too, everybody wore their shirts. We told them if you have one, wear it. Otherwise wear bright colors, you know, like just, this is, yeah, it's sucky what we're here to, to celebrate, but I don't want to be sad and wear black and mopey, you know, let's yeah. try to be happy, not because we're faking our feelings, but because, you know, I want to focus on, on her life Yeah, that we didn't think we were going to have. <laughs> So when you came, when she was induced and, and she was born, what, what sort of happened after that? So um, she, she actually kind of fell out. Um, <laughs> I, I had been laboring all day and I was just not dilating. And um, our photographer was about ready to leave. And our nurse was getting off like it was, she was done with her shift, you know? And so I'm really starting to panic. Like, my people are leaving, you know, yeah. everything that I had, my support system, you know, all of my medical support is, is leaving. And what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And, um, I was worried that the longer she stayed in the less likely it was that she was going to still be alive when she was born, you know, cause up till this point, she's still going strong, you know? Um, and so, uh, I, just as I'm about to lose my my crap, you know, <laughs> the doctor comes back in and he's like, well, let's check you one more time. They were, they were going to put in a, some kind of a sensor that tells how strong the contractions are. Like they were, okay. cause they were really regular, but it measures how strong they are. And so he was just about to put that in. And as he is um, examining to do that, he realizes, oh gosh, you're dilated enough. Let's do this thing. And so he leaves for a second and um, he lowers the, the end of the table you know, the, the bed. And as soon as he does that, I just feel this weight kind of go towards the ground, you know, and cause I have an epidural, so I can't feel what's happening. Okay. Um, and so I'm like, um, guys, something just went like this, you know, like I can, I can feel something's happening down there, but I couldn't feel what, but it felt like something was headed out, you know? Yeah. And so he turns around from his table of instruments and realizes, oh gosh, she's coming right now. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, she was only five pounds, you know? Um, and so she sort of just slid right out. And um, at first she wasn't breathing and um, the nurse, you know, they were kind of examining what was going on with her and they still had her down below at this point. I, I haven't even seen her yet. And uh, the nurse comes to me and says, um, her heart rate is really low and our only choice right now is chest compressions. What do you want to do? Oh, and, um, we had discussed ahead of time, my husband and I, that we weren't going to do chest compressions or anything super invasive because, um, you know, we didn't want to hurt her in any way, you know, I and mean, she's, here's this fragile little baby who has all these medical conditions, you know, or complications. And we didn't want to put her through any unnecessary trauma. Yeah. Um, especially not knowing how long we were going to have with her. We had opted not to do NICU, not to do any of that kind of stuff. Like we just want to be with her as long as we can be with her mm-hmm. because, you know, in our minds, we did, if we, if we did NICU and did all the things, you know, let's rush her away for heart surgery and do all the stuff. We weren't sure that she was going to survive all of that anyway. Yeah. And then we would have not had any time with her at all. Yeah, of course. You know, in an effort to try and get more time, we lost it. Yeah. Um, and so for us, we decided just, let's just be with her as long as we can. Um, and so they've just told me that she, um, that her heart rate is low 
and they want to do chest compressions. And I said, no, if that's the case, then please just put her on my chest. I just want to have some skin to skin time before she passes. Um, and so my husband is on my, on my right side and, and she's on, they put her up on my chest and we're just begging her to please stay, you know, I'm rubbing her back and, and kind of just talking to her and my husband is talking to her. And, um, in the weeks leading up, especially as my, my tummy got bigger, our older daughter would, would come up to my belly and she'd say, Hey, Emily, stay alive in there. So I can meet you out here. You know, that was her thing. Stay alive in there. You, um, and so I kept telling her, stay alive so sister can meet you because her sister wasn't in the delivery room at the, at the time. She was out in the waiting room. And so um, I said, stay alive so sister can meet you. You know, she always told you stay alive in there. So stay alive out here so she can meet you. And it was probably about four minutes of silence. You know, I mean, you could hear a pin drop. Not, not a doctor in the room was making any kind of sound. They're all just standing there waiting to see what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and just as my doctor is about to walk over and check her again and see, you know, is she still breathing? Is she still what's going on? You know, she cracks open one eye and starts to cry. And you could just hear that it was like this audible sigh of relief in the room. You know, my mom is there. My mother-in-law is in there. Um, and everybody in the room just just let's go of the breath that they had been holding for the last four minutes, you know? Um, and so they, uh, are the, now I lay me down to sleep photographer actually got that moment on video. Oh, wow. How Um, special. She just, she just whipped out her phone and on a whim just thought to do it. And it was amazing. (laughs) Um, so she, after, you know, they got her all cleaned up, got me all cleaned up. They, they examined her and she went from a really terrible APGAR score to she was fine. You know, she was breathing on her own and crying and all the things. Um, and so sister got to come in and meet her and, um, things were looking okay, you know? Um, so the two days that we were in the hospital with her after delivery, um, they had two different neonatologists come in and examine her and just check on, on how she was doing, you know, um, both of them said, had they not known the case notes walking into the room, they never would have guessed that she was trisomy 18 just because of the way that she was presenting. Um, she did have all of the complications that they had seen in utero, but they weren't affecting her as strongly as they thought they might. Um, so she did still have a hole in her heart. She did still have the cyst in her brain, you know, um, but she was presenting well, even in spite of those things. Um, so we take her home two days later, which was an adventure because we didn't have a nursery set up. We didn't have any of the things, you know, because in our minds, she was not coming home. And Mm -hmm. so actually while we were still in the hospital, um, my, my friend who, um, I, as I referenced before, her name is Dari. I'll just say that. So it's easy. <laughs> so, um, Dari, who, by the way, was in the, in the delivery room with us as well. Um, she, uh, rallied the troops, told everyone, Hey, everyone, the baby survived. Chris needs baby stuff. She has yeah. nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I had a few things from Sydney, our first daughter. Um, but you know, like, 
all of the brand new baby clothes that you want to buy a new baby because you don't want to only wear big sister stuff. You know, you're excited for new things. And, um, so within, I don't know, probably about five hours, I had a nursery set up in our house and clothes dropped off at the hospital. Um, people just swarmed in and took care of stuff. Amazing. Um, so, uh, she was at home with us for two months. Um, we had, um, all kinds of specialists. She had an ENT and a cardiologist and a pulmonologist and a gastro. And I mean, you know, she had every specialist in the book, um, and was seeing them throughout this two month period, just so that we could figure out, you know, okay, she's here. So what are we going to do about it? You know, mm-hmm. um, she was scheduled to have a G tube, um, inserted because another thing that they, that, um, trisomy 18 babies struggle with is a really weak airway. Okay. Um, and so oftentimes they have to be on, um, oxygen or tube fed because they, they can't swallow safely without, um, aspirating. And so, um, she had an NG tube, which is just the one through the nose. Um, and so, um, we had to learn how to feed our baby, which was <laughs> stressful. Um, so she, she had her feeding tube and that was it. She didn't have to have oxygen at home or anything like that. Um, and so here we are, we have this brand new fragile baby that we never thought we were going to have at home. And what do we do? Well, we try to live life as normally as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we took her to the park. It was an unseasonably warm spring that year. And so we got to take her to the park. Um, she went to church with us. She had Easter, um, you know, we just tried to do all the things while at the same time having this, you know, super fragile baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just, um, actually Easter Sunday, um, Sydney started having, um, cold symptoms. And then a few days later, um, Emily did as well. And so that's ultimately what, what got her was a cold that she just couldn't fight. Cause when you have weak airways, right. Like you or I can just cough and get the mm. phlegm out, but she couldn't do that. Um, and so she was in the hospital for 11 days before she finally passed. Um, but that whole thing was traumatic too, because I had no idea that she had a cold. She wasn't having any symptoms or anything. Mm. She just was really, really fussy that night. Um, and so I was up and down with her all night. She'd be settled for maybe 10 minutes at a time. And then she'd wake up and was just fussy, fussy, fussy. Um, and so finally I had fallen asleep with her on my chest. Cause that was the only way that she was consolable was on me. Um, and so we had both dozed off. It's about five o'clock in the morning. And, um, I snapped awake and realized I hadn't really felt her in, in a couple of minutes. And so I kind of, you know, panicked and I leaned forward or, you know, sat, cause I, I was leaning up against the wall. And, uh, so I leaned forward and her head kind of just lulled, like, you know, um, And so I was patting her cheek, you know, and trying to revive her and, and my mom, um, who had stayed in town after she came in for the birth and then just stayed. Um, so she was here with us for that whole two months. And, um, she'd been sleeping with me in the guest room that night because my husband had to work the next day. Cause you can't just take life off, you know, like he had to go back to work at some point, not knowing, you know, what was going to happen. And so, um, so he had to work. And so mom was with me and, and I told her, call, call 911. She's not breathing. And I took her straight over to the changing table and started, um, 
rescue breathing, which I had watched um, a YouTube video about um, a couple of weeks prior. I was told by, so after, after she came home, I connected with people who had living trisomy 18 babies, right? Yeah. Like, okay, people, how do I do this? You know? Yeah. Um, and all of them said, you will have to revive your baby at some point, learn CPR, learn how to do it so that you can, you oh, can do wow. it because you will have to do that. I was terrified. Like yeah. I had always resisted cool. learning that skill prior because I didn't want to be the one who had to act in that moment, you know, yeah. like I just avoided that at all costs. And so I was like, okay, I have no choice. Like if I want to be a good mom to her, I have to know this so that I can help her. Yeah. Um, and so it all just came back like in an instant like that. Like I, it was like instinct just took over and I knew what to do. Um, and so I was working on her, working on her and Seth had been in the shower. So he came running out and in his towel and is like trying to watch me like, what's going on? Is everything okay? You know, and my mom's on, on call with the ER, with, um, 911, you know? Um, and so just as Seth was about to tell me that she's gone, just stop. She's, you know, she's done. Um, she starts breathing again. Oh God. And so by the time the paramedics get there, she's fine. Her color's back. She's doing good. She's breathing on her own, you know? Um, and so I actually had them call off the ambulance because she was fine. And so I was like, well, shoot, I'll get dressed and then I'll take her to the ER myself in a little bit. You know, she's not emergent at this moment, you know, she's okay. Um, and so they call off the ambulance, but then after, um, everybody had left, she started having trouble again. I'd have to do, um, stimulate her sternum to get her to breathe, you know? Um, and I think it was just because she'd had that whole night of just crying so yeah. much, you know, that she just was exhausted. And so every time she'd start to fall asleep, she'd stop breathing. <laughs> um, and so I have to, kept having to wake her up, you know? And, um, so I called her, her hospice nurse and her pediatrician and they both were like, yeah, take her up to the ER. We have a children's hospital here. And so they said, take her up to the ER. She needs to get checked out. We don't know what's going on, but take her up. And so, um, her hospice nurse, um, met me in the ER, which was huge. Cause I was terrified. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. and then my friend, my friend Dari came again with us. Um, my husband had already left for work, you know, because once the paramedics all left, Emily was doing fine. And so he's like, well, I guess I'm going to go to work then, you know? <laughs> um, and so he went on to work and, so I took her up to the ER and they, they ran a bunch of tests and discovered that she had a cold. Um, and so I was like, Oh, well, you know, usually in most kids, Oh, you have a runny nose, you have a cough, you have a fever or something, you know, but she didn't have any of that. Um, so anyway, yeah, she was, she was there in the hospital for 11 days, um, trying to fight it off and just couldn't. And then she'd, she'd go like this, you know, one day she'd be doing really well. And the next day she'd have a, a tough time. And it was just a lot of back and forth. And, um, finally on the 11th day, she just, um, was just not doing well. And, and the, the um, palliative care doctor called and said, Hey, I think you need to come. I think she's, she's letting us know. Cause, um, that whole entire time we were like, uh, we kept meeting with her doctors trying to decide what to do you know, and each day it was decide a new plan of attack. Do we try to wean her off the oxygen? Do we try to do this? We try to do that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and just a lot of trauma involved with making big decisions that you don't know what's going to happen. You know, like there's a lot of 
power, but powerlessness at the same time, you know, like here's this power of deciding what to happen with your kid, but then you don't know what's going to actually happen as a result of your decision, you know? Yeah. Um, and so just a lot of stress and trying to be in two places at once because Sydney is here back at home. She's too young to come and hang out in the hospital with me. And I feel like I have to be there in case a doctor comes, you know, I have to really advocate for her care because she's different than most babies. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, even the ER doc, when we got there, um, he looked over the table at me and said, I hope you realize we're kind of playing with God's plan here. Um, or no, he said, we're, we're interfering with God's plan here. Um, in other words, we should be doing nothing. This baby shouldn't be getting care because she's going to die anyway. You know, like that was his, his outlook. Um, and actually many, many medical professionals have that view that, you know, this baby has a life limiting diagnosis. So why are we even treating them? Why are we doing anything? You know? Um, and oh, so that's that terrible. was a huge thing too. Having, I mean, advocate for the treat dying, your kid. Right? You know? Does that mean that we're yeah. not going to treat a ninety-year-old because they're going to die soon? Like exactly, wow. exactly. The rationale just yeah. yeah. So let's talk about trauma. You know, like mm. here I am in this situation. You know, trying to do the best thing for my baby, and he's telling me that intervening is not what I should be doing. You know, um. So anyway, it was just really, really stressful. Um. And so when, when she called us and told us that it was time, I, uh, I packed Sydney up. We'd been playing at the park. Um, so I packed Sydney up and we, um, Seth met us over at, no, I think we, we picked him up from work and, um, cause his work was just down, down from the hospital. And so I picked him up and we all went to the hospital together. Um, and we spent that whole day with her. Um, you know, we didn't know how long she was going to have. Um, and at some point we had to decide, um, to remove her oxygen and just let her go on her own, you know, cause really the oxygen was kind of the only thing keeping her going. Um, and so that was a horrible decision. No parent should ever have to make, you yeah. know, when am I going to take my child off life support basically? Um, and so she, uh, she ended up, I think it took all, the better part of the day. I mean, she didn't pass away until about 6 PM and we took the oxygen off, I think around three o'clock. Um, and again, in her Emily way, like you're noticing a trend, right? Like she's with her birth, she's almost, you know, we're almost ready to call it. And then she starts breathing. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm giving her CPR, Seth is almost ready to call it. And then she starts breathing. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, why should her death be any different? So, um, we're holding her, we're saying our goodbyes. She's her breathing has started to slow. She just seems like she's, she's going, you know? And so I'm holding her and I, I look over at the doctor. I said, I think she's, I think she's passed. And so she comes over and listens and sure enough, her, her heart has stopped. Right. And so another doctor comes and listens and confirms, yep. Okay. Her heart stopped. And, and they've, so they, they call it and they send for the um, hospital chaplain because they're the one that has to like sign off on the whatever. So Seth asks if he can hold her. And so I pass, pass Emily over to Seth and he's holding her and, you know, she's, she's facing him and he's got his hand on her back. And it was probably about 40 minutes, I think. Um, and we're still waiting for the chaplain. We've, we've confirmed her death. Her color's gone. She's, she's gone. Right. And all of a sudden Seth's hand, which is on her back, 
starts to rhythmically move up and down. And at first it's just really subtle. And he's like, um, guys, <laughs> she starts breathing again. And uh, they call over two more doctors and another nurse and they listen. And sure enough, her heart rate's back. It's strong. Her color's back. I looked down at her. She's moving again. She literally came back after 40 minutes. Um, and every single doctor, nurse, everybody is just astounded at what has just happened. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I, if you had told me going into this, I would have said, yeah, you're full of it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, I just cannot believe what happened. Um, and so she went on to live almost another full hour with us. Um, and so I, I think it was, uh, I think it was her way of giving us a trial run, <laughs> you know, so that we would, we would know what it was going to feel like. Um, and so when she went the second time, actually, we were all laughing because, mm-hmm. you know, it was a joke. Now she playing possum again this time, you know, mm-hmm. is she really gone this time? And, um, so it was, it was beautiful and sad, obviously. Um, but we feel like it was kind of her way of making it a little bit easier for us. You know, it yeah. was a, it was a practice run. <laughs> Blimey. And how has life been since then? How are you getting on? Um, Pretty good. I mean, there, there obviously are hard days and moments and triggers and things like October is always hard just because of the month that it is, you know, mm-hmm. um, the the period of time from her birthday to her we call it her butterfly day that's how we remember her as butterflies that was our thing even early on even before she was born um not long after we found out the diagnosis i asked sydney i said what's something that we can identify emily with because my friend dari again um said you know you should pick something so that when you see that thing you always can think of your baby you know mm. So I asked Sydney, who, like I said, it was about four at the time. I said, what's something that we can, that we can pick that will make us think of Emily. Every time we see it, that's Emily without even missing a beat. She says pink and purple butterflies. I said, okay, that's what it is then. And so we, ever since then butterflies. And so like, you know, I, we just butterflies everywhere. Um, it's lovely. That's a really lovely idea, isn't it? I've not heard of that before. I think that's that's so comforting. Must be so comforting, like the sort of thing that you see in a like you just showed us your teacup with the butterflies on it, and something that you see in a shop or a or on a sign somewhere or something like that. It must be such a, a nice little private, comforting thing. Yeah, it is, and I think it helped a lot of people. Um, that wanted to support us. They didn't know what to do. And so they just got us something with butterflies, you know, yeah. like, well, I don't know what to do or say, but here's something with butterflies. Yeah. You know? yeah. um, so it was, it made it easy for them, but for us too, you know, like whenever we see a live butterfly, like every year. So um, she was born in March and then her, her butterfly day is in May. And so um, we always get um, caterpillars and um, hatch them into butterflies right around the time that Aww. her, um, we call it butterfly day. Some people call it angel day or death day or death anniversary or whatever. We just butterfly day. That's our, that's our thing. So um, we hatch butterflies for butterfly day and then release them. And sometimes it's too cold and we have to wait until mother's day, which is usually a couple of days later. So, <laughs> you know, it just depends, but um, we always do the butterfly thing. And um, so, you know, that time of year, I call that my grief season. 
you know, like I just know it's going to be tough and I, I yeah. have less, I do less things, you know, less social engagements, less whatever. I just try to be really gentle with myself and know that it's going to be a t- tough time and I'll just do whatever I feel like, you know? Yeah. So, but it's, it's been good. Uh, we've since gone on to have another baby. He's our last, our caboose. His name is Henry wow. and he's crazy. <laughs> I swear. Emily had a conversation with him before he came and said, now, listen, you got to give mom and dad a whole lot of crap that I couldn't give them. How long does it take you to fall pregnant with your rainbow baby? Oh, let's see. Emily was born in 2019 and we had Henry in 21. So a couple of years, he was by far our quickest from the time that we had started trying to Mm. having him. Um, And he, he took longer than even we wanted. We wanted to be pregnant like right away, you know? Um, But yeah, the timing was perfect. He was born obviously mid COVID, but Thankfully, by that time, things had calmed down enough that both Seth and Dari could be there again with me because she had she had earned her doula certification. I think she finished like five days before my induction date. Perfect <laughs> so timing. I was her first official doula case. Um, so she was there for two out of my three births. Mm. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. But oh, well, that's also amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's um. It's really lovely to hear such a tragedy spoken about with so much joy. Yeah. Um, And the way that you remember Emily is just lovely. And I can just see from your face and the way that you talk about her that you made the very most of such a short life and think about it as her life as a a celebration and a a joyous time rather than only being able to focus on the sadness that it was so short. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think we wouldn't have been able to do that without all of the support that we had, um, you know, and especially like watching my friend Dari and the way that her Oliver is part of their family, you know, like all of their kids talk about him and his picture is on the wall and, you know, he's very much a part of their life. And so having her experience and watching her, um, like I wasn't here when all of it happened, but, you know, just seeing how he was a part of their life, it sort of was a guide for, okay, it's okay to do this. Because prior to that, like I said, I didn't have much experience with loss and I didn't know that it was okay to, you know, like my cousin, um, who I mentioned before, her experience is very, very different. And, um, you know, there wasn't much support at all. And she felt like that, like, I remember her saying she had a picture of her son um, on the wall. He was, he was still born and she had a pic, the one picture of him that she had um, and somebody made the comment that it was really morbid. And why did she have that, mm-hmm. that picture up, you know, your dead baby, nobody wants to see your dead baby. And, and so I just was so afraid. Um, and I didn't know what to expect because that was my only reference of someone who had lost a child, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, seeing Dari and the way that she was able to just make him a part of their lives. And I think part of it is timing too. I mean, our culture has come a long way since, um, when my, my cousin lost her baby. Um, and you know, I think it's really, um, it helped a lot to have that kind of support and to know that people were like, Oh yeah, it's fine. Like this is your child and you know, it's okay. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's invaluable having the right support around you, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. For sure. Which is, which is, like I said earlier, that's why Dari and I decided we wanted to do this because there's so many who have experiences like my cousin, you know, who just yeah don't have that support. And, mm. and it can okay. change your entire, well, I mean, speaking to you just now, it can change your entire outlook and your entire lived experience, just having the right people at the right time saying the right things. Yeah. So important. For sure. Thank you so much for getting up at five and sharing your story with us. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, I think it's going to be such a powerful episode for those who are, have experienced similar or um, or will do in the future. So, yeah, thank you so much, Chris. Lovely yeah, to meet you. you Love getting to talk about Emily. Doesn't happen all that often. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, we loved hearing about her. So take care of yourself and um, keep in touch, won't you? Good luck with your doulering. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. All the best. Bye. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And please, please, when you have a second, rate us, review us and share us. And let's get this taboo smashed. See you next week.